This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you are listening to episode 15 of the Catholic Foodie. It's a special edition, Holy Thursday and Good Friday. Welcome to the Catholic Foodie. We have a few specials on the menu today. Very glad that you could join us. Uh, We are honored to have Dr. Brant Petrie on the show today. Dr. Brant Petrie is a theologian. He's a professor at Our Lady of Holy Cross College in New Orleans. And he is excited about the Eucharist. And who wouldn't be, right? Uh, But his specialty is in the Old Testament roots of uh, the liturgy. And he's going to share with us some thoughts on Holy Thursday and Good Friday. Uh, So we are very, very honored and and blessed to have him with us today. Uh, We also have a bit of feedback from Father Seraphim Bashoner. I'm very excited about that, um, that Father Seraphim would think of us here at the Catholic Foodie and send us some feedback is is incredible. It's awesome. And uh, we also, Char and I, are going to talk about our dinner on Holy Thursday, what we are preparing at our home uh, to feed our family on Holy Thursday. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It has to do with lamb. And uh, that's all I'm going to tell you right now. You have to wait until later in the show. But we have all of this, all of this and more on the Catholic Foodie as we celebrate or begin to celebrate the Holy Triduum here where food meets faith. Those uh, goodies in there. Granny, Granny Puckett, the goody lady? My goodness, she makes some good goodies. She's got a thing. It's like a, uh, it's like a uh, cookies, shortbread chocolate icing between. Very, it's good. Uh, It's very good. Well, we do have some good goodies on the show today. We are honored, once again, as I said earlier, to have Dr. Brant Petrie uh, speak with us. And uh, I'm not going to say a whole lot about our conversation. I'm going to let the conversation speak for itself. Uh, He is is a great person. Uh, I know him personally. He has a beautiful family. And let's take a listen to what he has to say to us. Uh, We're very fortunate today to have Dr. Brant Petrie with us. Uh, Welcome, Dr. Brant Petrie. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, now, you are a professor of uh, theology, correct? That's right. And uh, t- tell us a little bit about how you got to be a professor of theology, a theologian. Okay. Well, um, I, uh, I received my doctorate in uh, theology with a specialization in Scripture from the University of Notre Dame back in 2004. And then for many years before that, I spent my time doing my master's and undergraduate studies in biblical studies and theology at Vanderbilt and at Louisiana State University. And my interest in Scripture goes all the way back to my teenage days when I first met uh, a young girl who is now my wife. She was a young Baptist, and we started to get into discussions and debates about the biblical roots of Catholic teaching, or the lack thereof, from her perspective at the time. Um, So I started having to basically defend my faith and show where uh, in the Scriptures in particular the Catholic Church's teachings were to be found. So just through a little... Little little grace, and also from some promptings from her and her family members, I uh, got very interested in the Bible, and um, have spent the last couple of decades really studying it, and uh, in particular looking at the biblical roots of Catholic teaching, and especially the uh, ancient Jewish roots of Catholic belief, especially in the Old Testament. 
So um, that's my area of interest. And uh, for the last few years, I've been the Donum Day Professor of Word and Sacrament at Our Lady of Holy Cross in New Orleans, which means that I specialize in particular on um, sacramental theology of the Church and on the Eucharist in particular as, as a, a key area of focus. Um, along the same lines, I've been working on uh, two books on the Eucharist, a long, a long academic book on the Last Supper um, that will come out from Urban's, and then a shorter book on Jesus and the Jewish roots of the Eucharist that, that will be published by Doubleday. So this has been something that's been on the brain now for a long time, and that's kind of how I got to where I am today. Wow, that's amazing. And, and it's appropriate, too, because, I mean, this week is, is Holy Week. Amen, and, uh, that's right. Holy Thursday is uh, just a couple of days away, mm-hmm. um, and one of the things that really has uh, uh, sparked my curiosity for a long time are the connections. I mean, there, there seem to be so many connections between the Eucharist we celebrate today and what we see in the Old Testament with the Passover meal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, um, one of the things that I've been studying for the last few years now is trying to figure out... Um, what the Old Testament roots are of our belief as Catholics and the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, right? So as Catholics, we believe that the Eucharist is not just a symbol, it's not just, it's not just a memorial, it's actually the real presence of Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in um, coming to us under the appearance of bread and wine. After the Eucharist is consecrated by the priest and he speaks the words of Christ, this is my body, this is my blood, that the bread and wine are actually transformed um, are transubstantiated, as we say, into the actual body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, the whole Christ, Christ the person. And that's kind of a hard pill for people to swallow. It's, it, obviously, it's a miraculous thing if it's true, but where do we root that in sacred scripture? And so one of the things I've been working on a lot is asking the question, you know, how is it that the first Christians came to believe in the Eucharist as mm-hmm. the body and blood of Christ. How did they believe in the real presence? Mm-hmm. We know for a fact that, for example, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 that the Eucharist is, quote, a participation in the body of Christ, and that the uh, cup of blessing that we drink is a participation in the blood of Christ. Um, and he talks about profaning the body and blood of Jesus if a person receives the Eucharist unworthily in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, so he clearly believes in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. But how is it that he came to believe in it? How is it that he, for example, as a first century Jew, who would have known that in the Old Testament, in, say, for example, the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, that it was prohibited to drink blood, um, that it was unlawful to do so? How would somebody like St. Paul, who was a first century Jew, come to believe in the Old Testament that it was unlawful to drink blood, but in the New Testament we actually have to drink the blood? of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, the blood of Christ under the appearance of wine. And so one of the things I found out, Jeff, was that the, the key to understanding the, the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, the key for somebody like St. Paul, a Jewish Christian, is actually the Old Testament itself, that Paul, for example, would have known that there were events, there were types, prototypes, prefigurations of the Eucharist in the Old Testament that actually point forward to what Jesus was going to do at the Last Supper, but also reveal that the Last Supper had to actually be his body and blood, his real body and blood, and not just a symbol. Okay? So that's, that's really um, where I'd like to begin. The first one, the one you just mentioned, was the Passover, right? Didn't you right, say right. the Passover? Yeah. Okay, well, that definitely is 
the first and perhaps in many ways the most important prefiguration of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist in the Old Testament. Because in the Passover, as many people know from the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 12, it describes the fact that on Passover night, when the Jews were released from Egypt, they were set free um, from the slavery to Pharaoh, um, they had to perform a sacrifice in order to be saved from the angel of death, from the destroying angel. And Exodus chapter 12 says that every Israelite took a lamb, a Passover lamb, um, an unblemished male lamb, a year old, and sacrificed the lamb. And then they would take the, the blood of the lamb, they would actually pour it out into a basin, um, and take the blood of the lamb, they would pour it out into a basin, and then dip a branch of hyssop in the, in the blood, spread the blood on the doorposts and the lintel of the home, mm-hmm. so the entryways to their homes, to act as a kind of a, kind of a sign of the covenant that they'd enter into with God. Mm-hmm. And then the thing that many people often forget, but which is fundamentally important for us regarding the Last Supper, is that in the Old Testament, they had to eat the lamb. That right. was the completion of the sacrifice. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes people think, well, you know, the death of the lamb was the completion of the sacrifice, but it actually wasn't. Because if you, for example, if you sacrificed the lamb and you went to bed that night and didn't eat the flesh of the lamb, and you'd have woken up in the first the morning, uh, first thing in the morning, your firstborn son would be dead. He would have been struck down by the destroying angel, by the angel of death. That's in, all in Exodus chapter 12. Makes that very clear. So the thing that's fascinating about that Old Testament event of the sacrifice, the death, and the eating of the flesh of the Passover lamb, that sacred meal, which was how Israel got out of Egypt, what's so fascinating about that is that people sometimes forget that the Last Supper was not just any kind of meal. You know, Jesus wasn't just meeting with his apostles to say, farewell, guys, you know, it's been good together for the last (laughs) few years. I'll I'll see you when I get back, you know, I'll see you after the resurrection. It's not just any kind of meal. It's a sacred meal. Mm -hmm. It's a Passover meal. As um, the Gospel of Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 26, that the night of the Last Supper was the days of the Passover, and that Jesus sent the apostles to the upper room to, quote, keep the Passover, to prepare the Passover, so that he could celebrate that with his disciples. Now, what's interesting about that, Jeff, is that if the Last Supper was a Passover meal, Jesus obviously um, is keeping that in accordance with Jewish tradition, but he does something very different at the Passover meal than what other Jews were doing. At the time, in the first century, other Jews, when they celebrated the Passover, would have taken the flesh of the Passover lamb and explained to the attendees at the, at the Passover the meaning of the flesh of the Passover lamb. They would have taken the bread of the Passover lamb, of the Passover, um, the unleavened bread, the Jews would eat with it. It's called matzah. We've probably all heard of matzah, especially mm-hmm. on a show about food. I'm sure people know about right. matzah, unleavened right. bread, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, they would have taken that and talked about the exodus from Egypt and how God had delivered the people from Egypt. But Jesus does something strange. Instead of focusing on the flesh of the Passover lamb, he takes the unleavened bread, the matzah of the Passover, and he says these words, this is my body. Take, eat. This is my body given for you. And then he takes the cup of wine that the Jews would have drunk at the Passover meal, and he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I think you can see what he's doing here, or at least even Mm -hmm. if we can't see it, Mm -hmm. any first century Jew would have seen it, is that he is replacing the sacrifice of the Passover lamb 
with himself, wow. right? Yeah. He's showing that in the Old Covenant, the Passover was centered on a lamb, an actual sacrificial lamb that was put to death, but now he's essentially instituting a new Passover that's not going to be centered on the flesh and blood of any animal, but on his own flesh and blood given to us under the form of bread and wine. Wow. Does that make sense? That makes sense. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's really an incredible connection, because what it shows us, and this is really the key, and I think St. Paul would have gotten this, for example, that if Jesus is the new Passover lamb, okay, and the Last Supper is the new Passover meal, then any first century Jew would have known that in order to complete the Passover meal, what do you have to do? You have to eat the lamb. Exactly. You have to eat the lamb. So when Jesus goes to his death on the cross, that's not the end of the story, right? That's, that's obviously the center of the story of salvation. But the end of the story, the end of the sacrifice, is going to be when the apostles and then we, following their imitating them, Jesus says, do this in memory of me, when we eat the flesh and drink the blood of the new Passover lamb, who is Christ himself. Golly, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is. It really is amazing because it, it's, it's really incontrovertible that, at least in a first century Jewish context, that Jesus really does see the bread and wine as the Last Supper, not just as a symbol, but as his actual body and blood. Because think about it. In the Old Testament, if you just ate a symbol of the lamb's flesh, because, say, you didn't like lamb, for example, maybe right. you don't like mutton, Okay, yeah. I'm sure some of your listeners may not be may not fans like of mutton. mutton, right? I don't know right. if you are. Do you like mutton? <laughs> I love it. Okay, well, I you love, love it, it, so you'd have been fine. <laughs> I'm not actually personally a fan, to be quite frank. Um, oh, goodness. But if, so if I was in the Old Testament period, and I didn't like mutton, and I put the, you know, sacrifice the lamb, but I didn't feel like eating a lamb, maybe I said, well, I'm just going to eat a symbol of a lamb, like a little lamb cookie or something like that. Right. <laughs> um, a little lamb-shaped cookie. Well, if I'd have gone to sleep for the night, I'd wake up in the morning, and my firstborn son would be he would be dead Golly. because mm. the covenant had not been sealed. The right. sacrifice had not been completed. The sacrifice was completed by eating the flesh of the lamb. And that is the key to understanding the Last Supper um, and the Eucharist. It God. really is. It is the fulfillment of the Passover. And just for your listeners who may be interested, the Catechism of the Catholic Church actually says this. I'm not making this up. This isn't just my kind of personal opinion as a theologian. Right, right. But the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is the official compendium of all the teachings of the Church, um, actually says this in paragraph 1340. That's 1340 of the okay. Catechism of the Catholic Church. Your, your listeners can find that online. The whole thing's online. Or you can get it at a bookstore. It says that by celebrating the Last Supper with his apostles, in the course of the Passover meal, Jesus gave the Jewish Passover its definitive meaning. See? Mm -hmm. See, Jesus passing over to his Father by his death and resurrection, the Catechism says, the new Passover is anticipated in the Last Supper and celebrated in the Eucharist, which fulfills the Jewish Passover and anticipates the final Passover of the Church and the glory of the kingdom. Wow. So, I mean, this is just basic Church teaching on the truth of Jesus' real presence being tied directly to the Passover. And in fact, Jeff, since it is Holy Week, I can point out, you know, we, we're about to come up to the point where we celebrate the, the sacred triduum of right, Easter, the right. three holy days, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and then Easter Vigil, and Holy Saturday, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Well, sometimes that's called the Paschal Triduum. Right, right. right. 
or the Paschal mystery. Well, that word Paschal is actually from the Greek word Pascha, which means Passover. So, I mean, our whole Catholic faith centers around the whole liturgical year in the Catholic Church leads up to, essentially, our celebration of the Passover. The Passover, yeah. Of the new Passover, exactly, exactly. And so, for those of your listeners who might be, be uh, participating in that on Holy Thursday, they need tell them to listen up, pay attention, everybody. When you go to Mass on Holy Thursday, guess what the readings for that week are going to be focused on? The first reading from the Old Testament is going to be straight from Exodus chapter 12, oh, yeah. which is, of all things, the description of the Passover wow. in the Old Testament. <laughs> so the Church knows what it's doing. It's not just picking these passages randomly. Right. It's selecting them to show us that Jesus is the new Passover lamb mm-hmm. and that the Eucharist is the flesh of the lamb, that we are blessed to be able to eat. And just like in the Old Testament, eating the Passover lamb meant salvation for Jews. So today, eating the flesh of the Lamb of God means salvation for us. It's it's incredibly beautiful. It is incredibly beautiful. It is one of the greatest mysteries of our faith, and it's one of the most beautiful mysteries of our faith. And that's why it's really the center of our whole liturgical year leading up to this Feast of the Eucharist and the Feast of the Resurrection on on, um, Easter Sunday. I mean, this is... This is what it's all about. I mean, Jesus, this is the last thing he does, you know, before he begins his passion. And he he commands the apostles, do this in memory of me, um, because this is the way he's going to be present with with us forever until the end of time. You know, some some Christians who maybe don't believe, for example, in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, they might have a hard time explaining why he says, you know, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, I will be with you always even mm-hmm. to the end of time, and then right. he goes straight up into heaven, right? <laughs> right. And it, it seems a little bit uh, disingenuous on his right, part, right. you know? Why does he say uh, he's going to be with us for all time, standing there in his bodily form, and then he goes up into heaven? Now, obviously, he's present in spirit, but we as Catholics recognize that the way he's present with us bodily until the end of time is in the Eucharist. In the Eucharist. And, um, yeah. and you know, Jeff, he reveals that to the apostles at another meal that he has with them. And that one is on Easter Sunday itself, in Luke chapter 24, mm-hmm. the road to Emmaus. I'm right. sure you remember that yes. famous story. You know, he's walking along the road with the apostles, and uh, those two disciples who are upset because, you know, he was crucified and they thought he was the Messiah. And he's explaining to them the prophecies about him in the Scripture. And I wonder if he talked about the Passover. It'd be interesting to see. It'd be nice to have been there on Easter Sunday. But then in Luke 24, uh, verses uh, 28, and following, he says that Jesus drew near to the village where they were going, and he was going to go further, but they constrained him, saying, stay with us, because it's toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And, and then the scripture says these amazing words, and their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished out of their sight. Oh, wow. Right? And it says, they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures? And then they run back to the other apostles to tell them what had happened. And in verse 35 it says, they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Right? Wow. So yes. what is Jesus doing here? I mean, this is Easter Sunday. It's a pretty important day. Right? He's got a lot to do. That's right. That's right. So why does he pick this particular event? Why does he do these particular things? You know, 
He takes the bread. He blesses the bread. He breaks it. He gives it to him. Hmm, when's the last time he did that, Jeff? Can you think Can you think of when's the last time he took bread, blessed bread, broke it, and gave it to his disciples? Hmm, let me, let me yeah. think about that. <laughs> yeah. Mull that one over for a minute, right? Right, right. <laughs> Of course, it's the Last, the last Supper. supper. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so what's going on here? Is Jesus doing a repeat performance of the Last Supper? Well, no. What's happening is he is making present that same reality that was taking place at the Last Supper. And notice, the strange thing about this meal is that as soon as he gives them the bread, it says their eyes were open and they recognized them, mm. and then he vanished out of their sight. So that means that up to that point, they didn't really realize that it was Jesus. But as soon as he gives them the bread, then their eyes are open and they recognize him. But then he does something strange, you know. He disappears. He vanishes. Mm -hmm. So why does he do that? What's he trying to do? Is he, you know, pulling the David Copperfield? You know, now you <laughs> right. see me, now you don't. Right. It's just teasing the apostles, right? Um, you know, um, you know, just playing games with them. No, I think I would suggest to you that what he's doing is he's showing them that the way I'm going to be with you now, until the end of time, is not under my bodily form in the in the appearance of a man, the form of a man, but under the form of bread and wine right. in the right. Eucharist. That's right. Right. And that's what they said. He was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. That's the way that they understand the mystery of the resurrection and the mystery of his real presence with us now. He's just as truly and really present with us in the Eucharist mm -hmm. today as he was 2,000 years ago with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Mm. He's uh, just hidden under the appearance of bread and wine. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, Dr. Petrie, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with us. I think you've given us a lot to just uh, mull chew over, on. to chew on, exactly, <laughs> to chew on as we enter Holy Week, and especially the, the celebration of uh, the Last Supper on, on Holy Thursday. Absolutely. Uh, we, will, we will make sure to pay attention to those readings. <laughs> Definitely, absolutely. I mean, this is the, the, the whole liturgy is set up to kind of lead us into that mystery of what Jesus has done for us in the Last Supper and what he continues to do for us every single Mass. Amen. I mean, the whole Mass, it's, it's, it's a banquet, it's a meal, but unlike, I'm sure, some of your other shows where you talk about ordinary meals, this is an extraordinary meal. This right. is no ordinary banquet. This is the banquet of the Passover Lamb Absolutely. who loved us and gave himself for us so that we could have salvation and so that we could be saved from death. Oh, man. Well, um, I, what I will do, I will uh, put a, a link in the in the show notes on the website uh, in case anybody wants to look up uh, some of the stuff. I know you have some the, the books you mentioned earlier, and I believe some of your talks are also available in CD format. Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, they can they can go to my website. It's www.brantpetrie.com. That's www.brantpitre.com, and uh, there I have a whole host of Bible studies on CD on the Jewish and the biblical roots of the Eucharist. I have a, one of my favorite ones is on the Eucharist in the Gospel of John. That's over eight hours of biblical study wow. just on the Eucharist, just in John. And then I have a full-fledged set, um, which is perhaps the longest one of all, called Eucharistic Theology, and that's 21 hours of lectures oh, just wow. looking at the Eucharist in the Bible, going from Genesis all the way to Revelation. That's awesome. And we touch on pretty much every meal that I was eating, eating <laughs> in the whole Bible study. Um, no, so no, that actually, would be a good one. There's a lot one. of eating going on in the Bible. So, 
So yeah, so they can check those out at, at brandpetrie.com and, and invite them to get them, study them, and share them with others. Wonderful. Okay? Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much. Okay. My pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. When you come to my house and I cook for you. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, that might be a problem. What's the problem? I'm the best cook in the family, tell you. Oh, I did, didn't I? Twice. Okay, then. <laughs> oh. um, it's just, uh... yeah. Ian is a vegetarian. He doesn't eat meat. He don't eat no meat? No, he doesn't eat meat. What do you mean he don't eat no meat? Oh, that's okay. That's okay. I make lamb. So Holy Thursday, Holy Thursday, uh, of course, we celebrate the, the liturgy of the Last Supper. Uh, but when you think back to the Last Supper, of course, as Dr. Petrie talked about, Jesus took the focus off the lamb and he put it onto the bread, right? Because the bread, he changes substantially into himself, who is the Lamb of God. So that makes total sense. And so um, we... We focus on the Eucharist, especially liturgically, we focus on the Eucharist. Uh, but I thought that for this little segment here, we could actually take a step back and focus on the lamb <laughs> because we're cooking lamb for dinner. So my lovely wife, Char, is going to uh, season the uh, lamb chops. So you want to tell me about those? What, what are you going to do? Okay. We've got these tiny little lamb chops. They're quite, they're little, they're, they're, they're small. So mm -hmm. we'll have like two each, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to use our Greek seasoning. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess first I'll um, use kosher salt and freshly coarse ground black pepper and some extra virgin olive oil. Rub that down um, into the meat and then... I'll use our Greek seasoning that we have. It's a mix that, uh, it's a dried mix. We get it at the um, the Greek festival every year, and we have a, a really nice supply handy year-round. And um, it has dried um, oregano, dried basil, um, rosemary, red pepper flakes, and I don't, I don't know if there's anything else. They have black, black peppercorns. Pepper, um, anyway, it's... It's good, so we'll I'll rub that in, and then I have fresh par, uh, fresh mint that right. I have that I got from my mom's house. Mm -hmm. She has just a it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It is. She, she has, has a, she has a bed that I don't know the dimensions of it, but it's the whole thing's full of mint. It's because mint will overtake run. everything. Yeah, yeah, it overtakes everything, and she she lets it and. Well, it's, I have a beautiful awesome. green picture of that mint, so I will make sure to put that okay. on the website. So I have some fresh mint. I'm going to chop a lot. Generous, you know, I'll, I'll cover, I'll chop it, cover the meat with it, um, and let that marinate, you know, for several hours. And then... And then you're going to have somebody, uh, I don't know who, put it on the grill. Yeah, so we'll, I'll take it out and let it come down to room temp for a little bit and then you'll you'll slap it on the grill for uh, a little while yeah till it's medium rare yeah not too much well it sounds wonderful just enough so sounds wonderful and are we going to have anything special to drink that would accompany that lamb yeah we will have red wine what kind 
How about that third century Cabernet? Okay. Right? It's Behringer right. third century. I think I spoke about that yeah, wine early on in the, in the show. Uh, the, one of the first podcasts, I think I talked about that. It's wonderful. A really good Cabernet. I think we'll have that tonight. Okay. And then um, we'll have a salad. And I'm doing spinach, which I know that only two of us will eat, but that's okay. <laughs> um, and I'm going to roast those little baby potatoes. Wow. I'm going to put the same Greek same seasoning. Greek seasoning, olive oil, salt, pepper. Sounds kosher delicious. salt, freshly ground black pepper. Yum. And that'll be it. Yum, yum. Well, um, and then we'll leave home and go to St. Peter's. Uh, not the Basilica, but our church parish. And uh, we'll go to the, the liturgy of uh, the Last Supper, the Holy Thursday Liturgy. Yes. So that'll be great. And then we get to have the uh, the Lamb of God. So wonderful! I think it's gonna be a great night. And uh, entering into the Triduum, I think it's uh, it's good. It's a feast day. It's a feast day. It's a feast day. And Doctor Brant Petrie has given us a lot to chew on, right? That's right. Uh, so we will have lots to think about and pray about while we are in Mass. So, all right. Well, thank you, honey. All right. Greetings and salutations. This is Father Sarah from Shoner giving you some feedback over there at the Catholic Foodie. It's been a long time coming, and I certainly should have given it much before that. But I thought that one of the things that I might share with you over there at the Catholic Foodie is how it is that we are going to be celebrating Easter here in Gaming, Austria. I can't say whether it's a very authentic Easter festivity here in, in according to Austrian tradition, but it is fairly authentic as far as the Franciscan and particularly Franciscan University tradition. Now, I should state that we don't celebrate Easter really the way that St. Francis does, and that we actually have a reference in history to St. Francis celebrating Easter. And it talks about his the house, his community, uh, getting the house already and setting the table with white cloth and glassware and making it really fancy. But then Francis came back, and when he saw how it looked, he wasn't happy at all, and so he refused to eat at the table. Instead, he went and ate outside. And when the brothers came out, he complained and said that the examples of the Son of God's poverty should move us more than other religious. I saw here a table all prepared and decorated and recognized it not as the table of poor men who go door to door. And so uh, the, the example we have of Francis celebrating Easter is a very simple uh, example and as I said not generally what we do. It's much more elaborate. And 
so we uh, we try not to. We certainly don't read that passage when we're celebrating our Easter festivities. But it's part of the Franciscan tradition, and again I say particularly Franciscan uh, university tradition, right after the Easter vigil, that there is a what they call a resurrection party. And in the States, this involves things like hoagies and pizza and, of course, uh, soft drinks and all sorts of other things like that, which are not really available over here in Austria. So we have all the families here make a dish of some sort, then they bring sort of a potluck to uh, to us at the cartel. So we get all gathered together as said, right after the Easter vigil for enjoyment of food and festivities. Now, last year we had things like, uh, I remember some meatballs, and of course there's uh, some cakes and, and pies and uh, usually cider or something else like that. But since it's whatever each family decides to bring, or in our case what the friars decide to bring, it's different for each uh, person. But I thought I'd share a little bit with you what it is that we do with uh, with our family, our extended family here in Gaming, Austria, and to wish all of your listeners a very happy, a blessed Easter and a very happy and wonderful celebration. Thanks for all you do over there at the Catholic Foodie. This is Father Seraphim with Catholic Under the Hood saying goodbye and God bless. Wow. Thank, thank you so much, Father Seraphim. I'm, I'm so excited that you took the time to... Uh, uh, to think about us over here at the Catholic Foodie and to send us some feedback. And it sounds like your celebration of Easter in, in Gaming is is wonderful. It's fantastic. I attended uh, the university, actually, uh, a number of years ago uh, up in Steubenville. And I just remember the, uh, the intense atmosphere of celebration around Holy Week and, uh, and Easter. And I really do, I kind of miss that. I miss that communal experience. I mean, we have it in the parish, but it's not really the same uh, kind of an experience. At Steubenville, it's, a close, it's kind of like a closed community, much like my experience in the seminary. I mean, when you're in the seminary, my, where I was in the seminary was situated on the, uh, the campus, the, the, the property of an abbey, right, a Benedictine abbey. So we spent, I mean, you, you live it, you know, uh, the, the, the Triduum and uh, Easter is just uh, you live it, you breathe it, and it's a, a wonderful uh, experience. And I love being in my parish, and I love all the, the celebrations of Holy Week, uh, and I look forward to it uh, very much. Uh, but, you know, as, a, as an adult, I guess as an adult with children now and um, uh, other worries and concerns in life, it's, it's sometimes very difficult to enter into the spirit of, uh, of Holy Week. Uh, thankfully, though, as a teacher, I have Good Friday off, and we also have not what we call spring break, right? I teach at a Catholic high school, so not spring break, but Easter break. So all next week I will be off from uh, from school. Uh, but Char is going to have a number of little projects for me to work on at the house, so I'm not really completely off of uh, of work. Anyway, thank you again, Father Seraphim, and uh, God bless you and all the wonderful work over there at Catholic Under the Hood. Well, that wraps up episode 15 for us. I hope that you got some uh, good stuff out of this. Uh, very happy to have had uh, Dr. Brant Petrie here. Please do check out his website at uh, brantpetrie.com, B-R-A-N-T-P-I-T-R-E, brantpetrie.com. I also will put a link on the website, uh, catholicfoodie.com. Now, just a couple of things I'd like to mention before we close. Uh, first of all... Um, if you 
like what you see, what you hear, and like what you see on the website, you like what you hear here at the Catholic Foodie, uh, I would ask that you maybe go to iTunes and leave a uh, a comment there, uh, a recommendation for the site and for the podcast. I'd also ask if you uh, know what dig.com is, D-I-G-G. Uh, if you look on the website, some of the posts that we've had recently about crawfish and examination of conscience uh, and about uh, Lent, if you wouldn't mind going and digging those uh, th- those articles, that'd be wonderful. All of this generates more listeners for The Catholic Foodie and kind of furthers the mission and the ministry that we have here at The Catholic Foodie. And if you would like to leave feedback for The Catholic Foodie, you could do so in three ways. Uh, you can send me an email at catholicfoodie at gmail.com, or if you have the capabilities on your computer to record a WAV file or an MP3 file, you can also send that to me uh, at catholicfoodie uh, at gmail.com. And then finally, we do have a listener feedback line which records your message as an MP3 file, and I'm able to play that on the show. And that number is 985-635-4974. And once again, all this contact information is available on the website at catholicfoodie.com. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed your, uh, your meal here at the Catholic Foodie. And until next time, bon appetit. Bon <laughs> appetit.